We'll hear argument first this morning in case 06694, United States versus Williams. General Clement. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This Court has made clear that speech proposing an unlawful transaction is not protected by the First Amendment, and speech that falsely proposes an unlawful transaction is likewise unprotected. The statute at issue here, properly construed, does no more than prohibit efforts to offer or solicit materials that are contraband and then prevent somebody from turning around after soliciting or offering contraband and suggesting that the materials either did not exist or were not contraband after all. The statute does not prohibit truthful speech about lawful materials. Accordingly, the Court of Appeals erred in striking the statute down on its face. But, uh, if I could start with one of the more compelling hypotheticals on the other side. Let's say I'm a movie reviewer. I write a review saying this is an awful movie. It's, uh, uh, it uh, portrays child pornography. Um, aren't I presenting uh, information in a way that would cause others to believe that the movie contains child pornography, and wouldn't that be covered by the statute? Mr. Chief Justice, we do not think that would be covered by the statute. We don't think that that would involve, in the first point, we don't think it would involve presentation or promotion of the movie in the meaning of this statute. We think those terms are really limited to efforts to make the product available to the market. And I think if you read those terms in conjunction with each other, they are all directed at efforts to make the product available to the market. Now, so if the person who's actually distributing the film wants to try to market it as actual child pornography, then I suppose that would come within the ambit of the statute. But a movie reviewer does not have anything to worry about in the first instance, because I don't think that would come within the term. Suppose the distributor attaches the movie review. It's in Amazon.com, and then it has the movie review. Again, Justice Kennedy, it might, it, it might be conceptually possible for somebody to market, let's say, a mainstream movie on the basis of a rev- either their own statement or an attached review that misrepresents the nature of the movie and makes a claim for the movie that it's actual child pornography. And I suppose in that unusual circumstance, it would be covered. But I guess it would be equally possible for somebody to take one of the countless mainstream movies that portrays a murder on screen and say, this is actually a snuff film. There was actually, this was a snuff film. This was an actual murder. Now, somebody who did that would be clearly misrepresenting the, the, the film. I don't think they would turn around if somebody tried to do something about that false or misleading speech and be able to defend on, on that, that speech, because it would be clearly false and misleading speech. And I think what's important here is if the underlying movie is not child pornography, then truthful efforts but to, to Mr. promote Mr. that movie General, won't be captured. Supposing the underlying movie is a depiction of atrocities being committed in some foreign country in a war zone or something by soldiers who rape young kids and so forth. So, so it comes within the literal terms of the statute. And if one said, I'd like you to take a look at this movie, wouldn't that be covered by the statute? Well, if the, if the movie itself it, comes within the... The it movie is, itself would be pictures of soldiers raping young kids. And if it were done in a sufficiently graphic way that it was well, captured... it's just a, it's a, it's a news... I'm thinking of a newsreel. Somebody gets, makes an exhibit for a, in a war crimes trial or something like, sees this actually happening. Now, as I understand the language of the statute, if the person who had that film described it to someone he wanted to send it to, he'd violate the statute. 
Well, Justice Stevens, there's, I, I guess there's an anterior problem, which is if the, if, if the depictions were sufficiently graphic, they are the, person assumption. That, the person that would have that film would be in possession of child pornography, which itself would be a problem under the statute. Well, the possession of a it. picture of, of, of a war crime taking place, he saw that on camera, he would, that would be a crime? And, and that might be an example where, starting with the basic prohibition on the possession of child pornography, that might be a situation where there was a valid as-applied challenge. And this, that also might be a situation where there would be a valid as-applied challenge to the pandering and solicitation provision. But I think the proper way to analyze that is to ask first whether or not something's covered by the basic prohibition. You, you do agree, I guess, that there are some, there would be some valid as-applied channel, challenges to this statute. I agree, and I think, in theory at least, there may be valid as-applied challenges to the underlying prohibition. And this Court, of course, in Ferber, recognized that possibility in upholding the basic prohibition on the promotion of child pornography in that context. But Ferber uh, confined the meaning of child pornography to, I think, a greater extent than this statute does. It talked about uh, artistic value. but this, uh, there were several examples given in the briefs. One was this film depicts 12-year-old child having sexual relations with an old man. Now, that statement could be perceived as this film shows child pornography. Just that statement, but it's a truthful statement about Lolita, is it not? It is, Justice Ginsburg, but I think in context that would not be something that comes within the ambit of the statute. And again, if you start with the proposition. Why not? If you say, if you say 12-year-old child, this film shows a 12-year-old child, and it doesn't tell you that the person who's playing the 12-year-old is a young adult. No, I understand that, Justice Ginsburg. What I would say is this statute, in order to apply, at least the way we interpret it, requires both an objective and a subjective component. And so you would have to have a situation where that promotion of the movie objectively would lead somebody to believe that you're marketing it in a manner that, it, that, that, that portrays it as actual child pornography. Now, I think what you've just said right there would probably fail at the objective test because I think particularly when you start talking about it being a motion picture and the like, the natural assumption, especially if it's a mainstream motion picture, is going to be, oh, it's just actors. It's probably adult actors or a body double or something. I don't think that comes within the statute. The other thing that's required, of course, is a subjective component, and specific intent is the way that we would read the statute. And clearly the person who's marketing Lolita itself and wants people to go see it in a mainstream box office does not have the intent to convey to people that this is actual forbidden child pornography. Well, what if an individual received actual child pornography in the mail that had not been solicited? And he calls the chief of police in town and says, I've just opened my mail. Uh, and and the, the, this envelope is full of child porn, and he's right. I mean, the, there there are there are no body doubles. This is this is the real thing in here. He has presented child pornography to that chief of police, and he's violated the statute, hasn't he? Justice Souter, I would say that the better answer is no, that he has not. Well, you say no, but you say no because we won't enforce it that way. But the, but the objective component and the subjective component in my example are both satisfied. Justice Souter, I would say no for a more fundamental reason, which is I think you have to read 
two provisions of the statute here in par materia. And the other provision I think that is relevant is the affirmative defense that's in subsection D of the statute, which is at 6A of the appendix to our, our opening gray brief. And that provides an affirmative defense in the situation where somebody is in possession of child pornography. Now, because the first problem the person who gets child pornography in the mail has is that the statute on po- the ban's possession would apply. Now, there's an affirmative defense. The affirmative defense is specific to possession. But one of the things that's a prerequisite to qualify for the affirmative defense, which is in D2, large B, is that you have to afford that material to the — you have to afford the agency, the law enforcement agency, access to the material. Okay, that's that's fine, but before you get to that point, you have — there's still an indictable offense. You don't prevent — you don't present affirmative defenses until you're already indicted. You're right, Justice Souter, but that is a problem both for the prohibition on possession, and it is not a unique problem for the pandering and solicitation provision. And I don't think the fact that you might have to, if, if in that situation, you might have to actually present your affirmative defense in some case is a reason to strike a ban on possession as overbroad. But, as the, but the ban on possession is not the real problem, because under a normal possession statute, you, you would indeed uh, have a problem not merely uh, in terms of uh, — that, that could be raised not merely by affirmative defense, uh, but as an element of the statute. If, if the possession uh, is, is merely a matter of happenstance, uh, there's, there's an intent problem, and presumably the, there's, no, there's no offense. Uh, there's, there's no knowing uh, 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 offense in, in acquiring the material for the possession. But in, in, the, in the pandering statute, what we've got here is there is, as, as you put it earlier, uh, there is an understanding which happens to be correct, objectively correct, uh, that there is child porn, and there is a very clear intent to convey that message by way of presenting this material to a third party, in this case the police. So I think this is, this is not merely comparable to the, the problem of haphazard possession. Well, Justice Souter, let me try two responses. One is, I do think you have a problem even in possession, because once you get it in the mail, your possession of it is knowing. And that is precisely why Congress included this affirmative defense in the statute. The second thing I would say, though, is, again, we have to read these statutes in pari materia, and if one of the ways you qualify for the affirmative defense is you afford access to law enforcement agency of the material, I don't think that which is a prerequisite for qualifying for the affirmative defense can be independently prohibited by the statute. What if, what if you call up your neighbor and say, God, I got this disgusting child porn in the mail? Well, and, and again, I think if you did no more than that, um, I don't know that you would necessarily be covered by the statute. But if you said, I got this disgusting child pornography in the mail, it's clearly unlawful. Here, take a look. I mean, I, I suppose that is covered by the statute, but that doesn't seem like a natural reaction. Wait, it is covered by the statute because I read your brief as saying that the statute applies only in instances where either you're trying to sell it or trade it. That is what you're trying to now. If it seems to me a different matter, if it's covering only covering as well uh, instances where somebody is simply showing it to someone else to show him what he got in the mail. Well, I'd appreciate it. clarity on that. Uh, Justice Breyer, I think that we would take the position that even if you are presenting the material, making it available, but you're not charging for it, you're not exchanging it, you're just offering it for free, here's a quick free look, it's still covered by the statute. If that's, that's covered by the statute, what you're going to do then is suddenly criminalize 
uh, what could be an awful lot of activity goes on in schools all over the place, and somebody has a uh, — they think it's funny, and maybe it isn't funny, but they think it is, and it, uh, it's a kind of schoolboy behavior, and uh, uh, they're showing this stuff around, not totally certain what it is. Now, suddenly that to become a federal crime seems like quite an extension. And I thought you'd written your way out of that problem, and now I think you have it. Well, Justice Breyer, I mean, you know, I, I think you could certainly interpret the statute to write around that problem if you wanted to, but I do think the most natural reading of the terms promotes, distributes, presents, and uh, advertises is to capture not just somebody who is making that available to the market for sale or for barter, but also somebody who says, look, I have child pornography. I want, you, I want to get you interested in this. This is the real stuff here. Well, that's Take a, a very look. different thing. I read your brief the same way Justice Breyer did, and particularly footnote four of the reply brief, which I understood to be giving presents, for example, in the statute, a promotional meaning in light of the other words around it, advertises, promotes. And simply telling your, you know, the neighbor, you, I don't know, I got this kind of, what, what should I do about it, or uh, isn't promotional. Uh, it may be in a technical term presents, but it's not promotional. And, again, I understood your brief to suggest that you have to interpret all of those words in a advertising, soliciting, soliciting sense. Well, Mr. Chief Justice, here, I mean, I, I think my first cut at drawing the line would be to say it's not a problem to say, can you believe what I got in the mail and, and talk to your neighbor about it, describe it. On the other hand, I do think you're presenting the material if you say, I got this in the mail. Look at this. Isn't this disgusting? This is clearly child pornography. All right, and take, take, it think, that, though, take it as that. I would say looking and presenting to schoolmates dirty pictures is a fairly common adolescent and post-adolescent activity. And I would suspect a very high-level percentage of that class of people don't examine too carefully what the age of the individuals depicted is, and many might misrepresent what that age is. So this sounds, sounds like a statute that has enormous reach, whereas previously I thought it had. Well, Justice Breyer, if you think that's the difference between expanding this statute in some enormous way and not, then I would invite you to, re to have a more restrictive view of presents. And we but, certainly but want you to interpret this statute in a way that renders it not overbroad. And, of course, this Court has made clear on a number of occasions that before you get to the overbreath analysis, you apply narrowing constructions to make sure that the statute, if possible, but is construed to be constitutional. But, but if I could just — I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to clarify the footnote to which the Chief referred, that footnote 4 in your reply brief. It says, to the contrary — the government's brief expressly acknowledges that the statute's proscription encompasses non-commercial speech. So uh, I think Justice Breyer's suggestion that you said in your brief that the statute is limited to commercial speech is something that you candidly say, no, that's not so. We say it encompasses non-commercial speech. Well, Justice Ginsburg, I think there may be a distinction to be drawn. We certainly don't think that it's limited to commercial speech, if by commercial speech you mean only efforts to buy or sell or even only efforts to barter, because we think that somebody that sort of systematically is operating a website where they are giving away child pornography and advertising it as such would be clearly covered by the statute. So to the extent that, that the distinction between commercial and non-commercial is at the line where you would say you're giving it away gratis, 
we, we think that's still covered. Now, I, I gathered that maybe Justice Breyer had a different conception in mind, that you well, really no, have to be — My understanding was not that it was limited to commercial speech. That was clear from the footnote that I cited, but that presents was limited to promotional activity. It's one thing to present and say, either whether to law enforcement or to a neighbor, uh, it's another thing to promote uh, the child pornography. And I thought your brief was adopting a limited construction of words like presents that would uh, cover only promotional activity. Well, I, I, in fairness, Mr. Chief Justice, I think we had a slightly broader conception of presents. What we were thinking that presents means is really when you are not just sort of you know, in, in, in some abstract way talking about presenting the material, but you're actually furnishing the material to somebody else. Well, General and, Brett, and, is, and, there, and, is there anything to suggest that some of these hypotheticals where people get child pornography unsolicited in the mail or that kids at school are showing each other not just dirty pictures but actual child pornography or situations that occur with any frequency in the real world? Not at all, Justice Alito, and I think that's an important point with respect to Justice Breyer's hypothetical. I mean, you have to remember that the materials that we're talking about here are in the main materials that are unlawful even to possess. And it is also true that the that this, that in the wake of Ferber, a pretty good job was done of getting these materials out of the real world. So the kind of pictures I'm that are sorry, being I lost in, in your answer, I lost the, the, a negative or something. Are you saying that this type of activity frequently occurs or infrequently occurs? Infrequently occurs, especially in the real world which is to say when pictures of magazines are being handed around from adolescent to adolescent, there's really no reason in the world to suspect that what's being handed uh, from adolescent to adolescent is child pornography as opposed to adult pornography, the playboy and that sort of thing, because the truth of the matter is, in the wake of Ferber, a pretty good job has been done in stamping out child pornography in the real world. It has moved, unfortunately, onto the Internet, and in that context, when people are promoting it as actual child pornography or soliciting Am I not right? as actual child pornography. The universe of child pornography includes activities of 17-year-olds. It does, Justice Stevens, but so, too, for the basic prohibition. And I think what's important here is there may be some definitional, you know, questions, or you may have a view that there are applications of the statute that would be unconstitutional. But what's important, I think, is that this pandering and solicitation provision doesn't add some new definition, some more aggressive definition. It simply picks up the notion of the basic definition of child pornography. And it says that if you're taking materials and you are offering them to the market as actual child pornography, if you are soliciting actual child pornography, then the government can go after those direct acts of solicitation and uh, offering and, and, and prosecute those acts without — no, Even though what you are, in fact, showing or presenting does not fit the definition, even if what you're showing, you say, have I got some hot child porn — and here it is, and the it is, is, is an adult pretending to be a child or a virtual image. So the, 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 the problem is not an accurate representation that this is hardcore porn, and it is, but saying, have I got the real stuff, but what you possess is not at all the real stuff. 
That's right, Justice Ginsburg. If the Sienta requirements are satisfied, and I'm consciously trying to get you to believe that even though I have something that for some technical reason is not the real thing, what I'm offering you is the real thing, the statute does target that. But that seems to me to not be a First Amendment problem. It seems to be a natural consequence of Congress taking the Court's advice in Free Speech Coalition and moving from a prohibition on materials that had been pandered to the actual acts of pandering and solicitation themselves. And, and is that your answer to the, all of the hypotheticals that are put forth in the Coalition for Free Speech, okay, the Catholic bishops, the, the advertisement in um, uh, Amazon.com or Netflix? Well, Justice Kennedy, we think that all of those hypotheticals are taken out with more than one reason. I mean, I think from the Catholic uh, bishops. Oh, oh, let, let, let's, let's, pardon me. Sure. I, let's assume for the moment that there are minors so that the, that the content um, uh, aspect of it is fulfilled. That there are real minors in, in some of these things. But, but are there real minors engaging in forbidden activities? Yes. Are, are the, is yes. the underlying yes. material actual child pornography? Yes. Well, if the underlying material is actually child pornography, then you may be in a different situation. All of the hypotheticals in that brief were with materials, the underlying materials were not child pornography. And I think yeah. that's an important distinction, because if you're taking a movie like Traffic or American Beauty, which is not child pornography, right. and you're simply truthfully promoting it, you have nothing to worry about with this statute. What I, now, if you took something — I also think that the Catholic bishop's situation isn't covered, because that's not promoting presenters. There's one with a handheld video at a school or something like that. Well, I mean, again, I mean, if you had a handheld video and the video itself was child pornography, and then you got that on the Internet or otherwise decided you wanted to promote that, I mean, that would be covered by the there, statute. There, there are two things you — all of us have to work with here. One is the scienter component here. Is that overly broad, vague, and so forth? The other is the, the con content. And my concern is, is the same as that indicated by Justice Stevens at the outset. Uh, there are some terrible practices in the child trafficking area uh, uh, where, where children are held in, in brothels for the most debased of acts. Um, there are abuses in prisons, uh, abuses in schools. Uh, if there are videotapes showing those things, it seems to me that the statute is uh, that they're clearly covered by the statute, and maybe even a killing of a of a little girl in public uh, might be sadistic. Assume that that's covered by the statute. Is there anything in the presents and the promotes language in in the center component of the statute? that gives some protection to these materials? Is it just as applied? Is that what we have to do? I mean, I, I, here's how I would try to analyze it, Justice Kennedy, which is I would say that there would be an as-applied challenge there because the basic prohibition on child pornography and the, that would apply to the underlying materials, there would be an as-applied exception to that, and therefore the pandering and the solicitation of that would be equally outside the, the, the constitutional statute. We, we want statute. the public to see this to show how bad it is. And, that, and that's, and, and, that's and here's, permitted under the statute because it's well, not presenting. I mean, there would be another way to try to I get agree, at that. I agree with you that we have different motives, but I don't, right. I'm not sure that the statute covers it. Well, there, there might be a way in which the statute could cover it, and it would be as follows, which basically is if I'm going to portray that as material that is and I'm going to portray it only in a way that makes it clear that I have a valid as-applied challenge, then I'm not sure I would be uh, satisfying the objective and the subjective scienter requirements for that statute, because it would be clear that although I was presenting it as visual depictions of children who had that happen to them, I was presenting it 
exclusively for its scientific, artistic, literary value, and therefore, in a sense, I was building my as-applied challenge into the way I was marketing it. I think you of could. Course you, you have a problem not just not just with the presenting, not just with the pandering of it. You have a problem with the mere possession of it. You have to find some exception for that anyway. You have to find some as-applied. Uh, challenge exception for the mere possession of it, even if you don't pander it. Well, Justice Scalia, that's exactly right. And that's why I would think the logical way to proceed would be you would find an as-applied exception to the basic prohibition, and then naturally that would apply to the pandering provision. I was only sort of suggesting, if pressed, that in, in, in some ways it might actually be easier to find a way to get that outside the statute with respect to the pandering and solicitation provision than it would be for the possession. But how would uh, you do it in the case, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, if, if there is not actual child porn shown, uh, and there is a, a, a truthful or, or honest statement about it that there's nothing to worry about. Uh, but what about the movie reviewer uh, who, is, uh, who is reviewing the latest re-release or something of, of the Lolita film uh, and says, this depicts um, uh, sexual uh, activity with, uh, with, with a minor. That statement is true. It would be taken by some naive people are saying, boy, this is, this is what it showed, the real thing. Uh, that is a truthful statement, and yet it would still fall within the prohibition of the statute. Uh, as I understand your position, the only way that statement would be truthful in a way that would excuse would be if the reviewer said, this depicts sexual activity with a minor, but of course the actor wasn't really a minor. Isn't that correct? No, that's not correct, Justice Souter, and I would say that that hypothetical is outside the ambit of the statute for two reasons. First of all, I don't think that the movie reviewer is promoting or presenting the underlying material, so they would be out for that reason. I also think they would be out because when you started applying the objective and the subjective requirements to the statute, you would not find either of them satisfied with respect to that. If I know you're talking about a mainstream movie and you say it depicts sex with a minor, I'm not going to naturally think that that comes within the ambit of the statute, that it's actual child pornography within the meaning of the what if, statute. What if you're 17 years old and you haven't gone to law school and you haven't read these cases? Uh, you may very well assume. With respect, Justice Souter, that's why I think it's important to have both an objective and a subjective requirement. And I think the objective requirement alone would take that out. If I could reserve the remainder. What do we do? Do we use a seven-year-old for the objective requirement? No, I wouldn't think so. I, I thought think we would use, use a, a, a reasonable, reasonable observer. Exactly. That's why. Adult, I had thought. I, exactly. And wouldn't that's we why. Use I, a, wouldn't we use a reasonable person of the sort who goes to movies? That would be yeah, fine, I, I, would, and I, I would suppose my 17-year-old non-law school graduate would be within the ambit of, of, the, of the reasonable class. And, and I, would, I would submit that even a 17-year-old non-law student would know that movies depict things that don't actually happen, that when they see a murder on screen, that's not actually a murder. And so I think they would understand that that's a movie. It's not child pornography. If but I could reserve I the remainder of my you time. You said uh, just one question. You mentioned a, a film, Traffic, which I did not see, but... One of the briefs said there was an actual 17-year-old playing that part. And, but you said that wouldn't be, that wouldn't fit. Traffic is not child pornography. I understand the, the, the actress was 17 at the time of the film, but we don't think that comes within the ambit of the basic prohibition on child pornography because we think that simulated sexual activity has to be interpreted with enough subtlety that it doesn't capture but that. This, That's this the position. statute says simulated. It does, but so did the statute in Ferber, and we don't think that introduced any overbreath or vagueness that was fatal. And this this statute here just picks up on that definition; doesn't add to it. If I may reserve. Thank you, Mr. Clement. 
Mr. Diaz. <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The pandering provision of the PROTECT Act carries a five-year mandatory minimum prison term and a possible 20-year prison term, has no affirmative defense provision. It is unconstitutionally vague and overbroad because on its face it captures protected speech about materials, and it captures speech about materials that may not even, in fact, exist. The language, in a manner that reflects the belief or that is intended to cause another to believe, does not sufficiently define prohibited conduct, giving law enforcement unfettered discretion to subjectively enforce the statute. In essence, as the Eleventh Circuit held, <clears throat> the determination does not rest on what the materials contain, but rather on how someone conveys his or her impression about what the materials convey. In other words, this statute, in short, punishes thought, beliefs, expressions, and opinions. <clears throat> the well, there's a difference, isn't there, between beliefs and thoughts about what, the legality of a particular type of pornography or something like that, and a factual matter. I thought this was child pornography. Saying this, you know, regulates thoughts and beliefs. Those are two quite different uh, questions, isn't, aren't they? Yes, it is, Mr. Chief Justice. And one of the problems with the statute, and just another example of what we've been talking about here, Amazon.com and Netflix, is also, for example, uh, a series of uh, photography that we've seen uh, nationwide by famous photographers uh, of, of, of minors or of children, uh, photographers of child modeling agencies. But none of those, I mean, we've gone through this with the Solicitor General. He went through every example in his brief that you've been able to produce, and he said they aren't caught by the statute. Now, what's wrong with what he said? Why isn't that so? <coughs> the, if, if Photographers, for example? For example, if I were to take. It's not child pornography, and if it was, uh, they, they would have to act, they, they should, if it is child pornography under Ferber, it isn't protected. If it isn't child pornography under Ferber, uh, well, then there's no problem. Okay? That's their view of the photographers. And the same with Amazon, the same with Netflix. Correct. But the, the problem is, if I were to take anything such as the CNN video of, a, <clears throat> of an actual uh, a sexual, uh, sexually explicit conduct involving a minor, or if I were to take any of these films, if I were to start an Internet blog and say, look, uh, this film contains sexual conduct of a minor, and I think we should do something about this. I think we should form a coalition, or I think we should uh, boycott it. And I am conveying the belief, I am intending to make you believe that what those materials contain, albeit what they really have or what they really are, is illegal. Same problem with Ferber, he said. Same problem. Yes, sir. So what's, his, what's your response to what he said? It's worse with possession. He said, you possess these materials. What you're trying to do is take them to the police and stop them. Under Ferber, is that protected or not? If it is protected, as I think it would be, so is it here. I, I do not think it would be protected. Well, then under Ferber, he's going to go right to jail because he has them. I would think it would be protected. It, I can't imagine somebody who uh, collects in these sites where they're molesting children uh, material to prevent children from being, being molested and presents it to the proper authorities is going to be prosecuted under the New York statute in Ferber. Well, the, the, if, if the materials substantively violate the statute, then the mere possession of them is illegal. 
Uh, and there is a defense under the possession part of the statute for presenting them to the police within a certain uh, amount of time and within a certain manner of, of your conduct. What we're talking about here is not the possession of the materials. We're talking about the expression about what the materials contain. Even if you're wrong about it, even if you're mistaken, even if you're lying about it, even if you're bragging about it, uh, the, the traditional prankster, um, as Senator Lahi said in the congressional uh, report, one of the things we're concerned about with this statute is that it could capture people who are expressing salacious thoughts. Or just good, honest liars, right? What, what? We, you know, I had thought that the purpose of the First Amendment was to protect speech that had some value and that the reason obscenity is excluded entirely from First Amendment protection is that it has no redeeming social value. What social value do you find in being able to lie about the content of, of what you're offering to somebody else? You, you say somehow if you're lying about it, oh, well, then the First Amendment protects you. I, I would think if you're lying about it, it's clearer than ever that the First, First Amendment doesn't protect it. There's no social value in protecting lies. One of the, one of the problems with, with the, the issue of social value and lying is that we don't put people in jail for five mandatory minimum years or 20 years in prison for simply lying. We, we, we simply don't do that. I agree with Your Honor. It depends on what they're lying about. I, and I mean, if they're lying about the, you know, the value of what they're selling or, you know, it's fraud. And, and I agree with Your Honor that, uh, uh, Justice Scalia, that we have a slew of state <coughs> statutes, particularly in the area of consumer fraud. If I <coughs> pretend to have something that's illegal and offer it to you or promote it to you or advertise it to you, and I have nothing, then that person can and should be punished, but, but not, for, not under this statute. Tell me, what, what social value are we protecting here by protecting the lie about whether this thing that really isn't child pornography is? What, why, why would we want to protect that? We necessarily do not want to protect that, but we don't punish it with a 5- to 20-year prison sentence. You're complaining and about the, the degree of, of, of the penalty. It's not just the degree of the penalty. The statute doesn't just cover liars, Justice Scalia. It also covers uh, people who are mistaken. It covers exaggeration. It, co it covers puffing. Uh, for example, if I have a legitimate clean videotape that I want to duplicate, I may be violating trademark or other patent laws uh, or whatnot, but I want to take this and I want to sell it in the marketplace over the Internet. And I exaggerate by the words that I cho uh, choose to use in promoting that tape for a commercial purpose, for example. And I'm exaggerating. That person, if they market the materials in a way that causes the potential buyers to believe that what it has is illegal, even if I'm just puffing or bragging, the car salesman in a car sales situation, we don't like it. Well, but, but that's an entirely different thing to say that this, you know, car is a great car and it turns out not to be a great car and to say what you have is either is not uh, is is child pornography when in fact it's not those are two different things i think it could be very in the real world i think it's very easy for a person to puff about what materials contain that are lawful to possess such as titanic lolita or american beauty and all you would have to say is put a trailer on it and say this is hot graphic teen sex and, and you're puffing about what it really is we know you know it really well, is the statute has an objective component 
to the objective observer, it must reasonably cause them to believe that it's actually child pornography. So that that would be that that would prevent sort of the the vague puffery that you're talking about from being covered, while still covering uh, something that satisfies both the subjective and the objective test. Mr. Chief Justice, I think that if a person listens to or 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 hears somebody describe uh, Titanic, Lolita, American Beauty, or any of the films of the like as hot graphic teen sex, I think a reasonable and ordinary person could very well believe that what is being portrayed is prescribed material, even if it doesn't exist, or even if it exists and is protected under Ferber. You, you seem to think that we're, that we're punishing the lying. I don't read the statute as punishing the lying. No, Justice Scalia. You, you'd be punished even if, even if it were true. What's being punished is the pandering. You're the one that's bringing in the lying example. You say, my goodness, even, even if the pandering is a lie. Pandering is pandering, and I don't see why there is some special protection against pandering when, in addition to pandering, you're lying. Maybe you ought to get extra penalty. But, but in fact, the statute does not provide extra penalty. It just provides a penalty for pandering. And I don't know why it's a, it's a, it's a good defense to that to say, oh, I was, I was actually lying. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that — I think the statute covers people who brag, people who puff, people who tell the truth, who honestly well, believe — present? The word pandering itself is not used in the statute. It uses a lot of words. Promote and advertise, well, maybe that's just redundant. I guess that would be the government's position, but presents, distributes, uh, what yeah, else? All of those verbs only become pandering when they are attached to uh, explicit sexual material. When you promote exp- explicit sex, you are pandering. I mean, the word pandering does have a, a sexual connotation. I, I think I had thought it was, it was accepted that we, we have here a statute that's directed against pandering. But the, the problem is the statute, while it does capture pandering and illegal conduct, it goes beyond that and captures a slew of innocent conduct, which we've discussed this morning in the example. What would you say is the best realistic example that you can provide to show that this is overbroad? The best and realistic example would be any person, not necessarily Amazon.com or Netflix. It could be a private citizen. It could be uh, a, a religious leader of a religious group, regardless of what type of religion we're talking about. It could be any of those people doing, doing what? Who, who, who look at the, the, the Nan Golden pictures, who look at Lolita traffic and all of these other movies, and, and harbor a belief that it is obscene, which is one of the two types of materials that's prescribed. Suppose we I, did this. What would you think about an opinion and why, which says the following? We take every one of those examples and all the ones listed here and put them in Appendix A. And the opinion says, this is the Solicitor General's interpretation of the statute, as amended, say, with the word presentment, which comes out of promotion and fervor. And we think under that interpretation of the statute, none of these things, nor anything like them, could be prosecuted. And as so understood, we can find no example at least none not present in Ferber itself, where this would be overbroad. Therefore, it is constitutional. I'm not saying that is my view. I am saying simply I want to know your opinion about what would be wrong with such an opinion. My opinion, uh, 
uh, Justice Breyer, is that could be done. We could put a dozen or two dozen or three dozen, uh, an exponential number of examples that would be excluded. Essentially, we would be writing an affirmative defense into the statute or an absolute defense that would prohibit even the prosecution. Uh, the concern that that raises for me in answer to Your Honor's question is you're still going to have a chilling on free speech. There are still going to be people out there who are not covered by one of these examples who we haven't thought of, and that person is going to be afraid to express opinion. Well, I suppose if we were going to do that, it would be simpler and, and maybe prudent for us to reexamine our overbreadth rule. Uh, your client here uh, falls within none of these examples. He was convicted of having what everyone recognizes as uh, not only child pornography, but involving a, 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 a very small child. And uh, he knew what it was, and he, and he conveyed that belief. Uh, given the fact that it would appear that uh, child pornography is, is a growing problem, a serious problem on the Internet, Maybe we should examine the overbreadth rule and just say that your client uh, cannot make this make, make this challenge. Uh, the court can certainly do that, Justice Kennedy. Uh, essentially, though, I think what the court would be doing is we would take we would be taking the four areas of speech that have been taken out of the First Amendment protection, which is defamation, the fighting words under Brandenburg, uh, Miller, which is obscenity, and then the additional extension of Ferber. Now, what we would be doing is we would be carving yet another area of speech out of the First Amendment, and we're just going to continue chipping it away and, and chipping it away. No, I, the, I don't think that's responsive to Justice Kennedy's point. You wouldn't be carving it out of the First Amendment. You would be saying we're going to treat this area like other areas, which would say that whoever's challenging it has to show that they're uh, a problematic case. Uh, in other words, um, your client is relying — he didn't produce Lolita. You're relying on the effect on uh, other People. And that is what our overbreadth doctrine allows if there's a, a substantial amount of speech that's uh, uh, protected. And what I understood the question to suggest is that we would wait, basically, for as-applied challenges when Lolita is being prosecuted, and we would hear from them, but not in your case. That, that certainly could be done, Mr. Chief Justice. Again, and as I suggested earlier, the problem with that is that we're not talking about anything less than a criminal statute criminal statute that implicates the First Amendment. Freedom in thought, which this Court, since its very existence, has said we have to honor and respect, even if people are thinking about nasty or dirty things. That's what this country is based upon. And the grave concern, if we're going to do it on an as-applied challenge, is people who might be afraid to express their views about whether this is or is not obscene. It's the parent of a neighborhood group who sees a movie and wants to tell everybody about it and say, look, well, I don't we think have, we have one statute that covers advertising, promoting, presenting, distributing, and soliciting. Suppose that this, that all of those um, activities were not lumped together in one statute and there was a separate provision for each. And suppose that uh, the Court were to conclude that there is a problem with one of them, let's say promotes or presents, would all of the others fall as well under the, under the overbreath doctrine if they were set out in separate statutory provisions? I, I believe that that would more narrowly tailor the statute, but I don't believe, uh, uh, Justice Alito, that it would solve the problem 
of, of chilling speech. Yeah, but isn't the problem the, 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 the problem of your answer to Justice Breyer's hypothetical? He said, you know, what if we have this appendix and we list, I forget what he said, three dozen examples that the Solicitor General says wouldn't be covered and that sounds fine to us. Your answer was, well, there, there would still be some examples not covered. But isn't, isn't the answer to that uh, that there would be some conceivable overbreadth, I suppose, no matter what the appendix said, somewhere out there, there would be an example not covered that would, pro, that would be the basis for an as-applied challenge. But there wouldn't be substantial overbreadth. Uh, and, and isn't that the case, that if, if Justice Breyer's hypo were, in fact, the decision of this case, there wouldn't be uh, and a, a, a fair argument that there is any substantial overbreadth left to the statute. Isn't that so? Uh, th- th- it could be, and, and that would depend. I agree with Your Honor, uh, Justice Souter, that we have this world or this universe of overbroad speech, and the appendix would shrink it and make it narrower. And rewrite that, essentially rewriting the law. And that's my question about this technique that Justice Breyer has proposed. I mean, the Court is not generally in the business of writing appendices that uh, say, well, the statute couldn't apply in this situation and couldn't apply, and as long as we put those contours around it, certainly the Court could write an opinion that would inform Congress why this particular statute as written is overbroad and explain what kind of statute wouldn't be overbroad. But for the Court itself, I think that, that I don't know any instance in which we have provided that kind of appendix that said uh, things that are like uh, traffic, they're okay, and things that are like something else are not okay. Uh, I don't know. With, with respect, my, my initial response to um, uh, Justice Breyer's uh, suggestion, if you will, was the same as uh, Your Honor Justice Ginsburg. Uh, I, I don't know that that creating an appendix of examples is going to cure the problem. I do concede that it would lessen the problem. We, we, we would — Why would it lessen? I, I, well, I assume whatever you put in an appendix saying uh, all of these other situations that are not before us are not covered. Isn't that the most blatant dictum? But, but, but and, and, of course, we're not bound in later cases by our dicta. But come to think of it, I guess the whole doctrine of uh, overbreadth rests upon dictum, doesn't it? It, it? it rests upon our determination in this case, which involves somebody who undoubtedly was, was selling child porn and, and a horrible kind of child porn. Uh, we say in this case, oh, we can, we can contemplate other cases where we would not hold the person guilty. That is all dictum, too, isn't it? So I guess the whole doctrine is, uh, is based on dictum, dictum. So we may as well put it all in an appendix. Let's put our dictum in an appendix. Uh, in answer to uh, uh, Your Honor's question or, or comment, the <laughs> — the, I, I agree that the issue of over, overbreath is something where we're looking at boundaries. Um, and that's really what I think the court does in a situation of overbreath analysis. You look at the boundaries. How much, how far have we gone outside of the boundaries of what is protected? Well, but it's the boundary between what is, what should be protected in relation to uh, what's unprotected. 
So what's the ratio between legitimate films like Lolita and illegitimate child pornography? In other words, is, in fact, uh, the protected material substantial in relation to the law's legitimate sweep? Well, the problem is we don't have an, an empirical answer or mathematical answer to that question. What we do know is that films like Lolita, American Beauty, and whatnot, which, if presented a certain way, can bring people into the coverage of the statute, have received acclaim around the world. I mean, all sorts of Academy Awards. They're seen time and time again. They're seen on Netflix. They're seen on uh, cable TV. Uh, to this day, some of these movies have been around for 30 years. Of course, the, uh, point, your is you, the point of the appendix, which unfortunately has the failing of many charming metaphors. It has acquired a life of its own. It distracts from the question. Is that as I read the Solicitor General's interpretation of the statute and amended it, taking the word presentment from its context in Ferber, where it was part of the definition of promotion, I thought that was the appendix. At least that's my hypothetical question. And so whether you like appendices or don't like appendices, you could focus on why isn't it the appendix I'm talking about. He's filled it with qualifications using the words knowingly, reasonable, and a context that if it is not purely commercial, as I understood, is at least commercial plus a few things such as bartering. That was really my question, and you've come back to American beauty and so forth, and if there's one thing I think his definition keeps out of this discussion, it is American beauty and traffic, because I don't see under his interpretation how anyone could conceivably be prosecuted, even if he's talking to a group who have never seen a movie, that isn't a reasonable group of people. So what is your response to what he said? My response, Justice Breyer, is that if you take the word present and you give it the meaning that it was given in Ferber, you make the statute narrower, you make it bring it into more of a constitutionally acceptable realm. But I respectfully do not believe that it cures the entire problem. And, and my basis for saying that is the question of Justice Souter of the Solicitor General. You know, the concern is when you don't have uh, lawyers uh, who understand these hyper-technical meanings that the Court is going to give and the interpretation we're going to put on them. But isn't, isn't the answer to that, you may still have some overbreadth left, but it's not substantial. Most 17-year-olds uh, are, in fact, going to realize that the real thing is not going on uh, in, in, in a Lolita movie. And, and if we accept that as a factual proposition, which was the Solicitor General's answer, and if we also accept, not by way of appendix, but by way of rationale in the opinion, that these, uh, these various activities have got to be given an essentially commercial or quasi-commercial character so that they don't pick up the conversation with the neighbor, and that's simply a matter of statutory interpretation that could be part of our rationale. If, if, if we accept the, the factual proposition uh, about what reasonable viewers are likely to know, 
and we engage in that kind of, of interpretation following the Solicitor General's view of how this serial uh, list of activities should be uh, construed, don't we eliminate the possibility, wouldn't we eliminate the possibility of substantial overbreadth? Some things may get by. There may still be legitimate applied challenges. But substantial overbreadth, would that be left? I think it would, but to a, conceitedly to a lesser degree, because once you make it clear as to what matters are not covered by the statute, it makes it easier for people to conform their conduct uh, and their words accordingly. The, the concern that I have is that it still chills a it, — it, chill, it still chills free speech. If a person looks at an appendix or looks at the rationale in the Court's opinion oh, in this case — It can, but can you give me an example of a class of activities that would not be um, — in effect, insulated from, uh, from indictment uh, by these two steps in, in, in the opinion uh, that, that would be of substantial character? Certainly. And, and, and I go back to the, uh, the question of uh, Justice Breyer, which is adolescents, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, uh, um, who like to look at these types of materials, and, and one of them uh, could simply say to another over the Internet, you know, do you think we can get some hardcore child porn? He's soliciting child porn from another person. And that individual, that 17-year-old kid who's fantasizing or experimenting with his own sexuality can go to jail for 5 to 20 years. And we see that in everyday America and high schools all around the country. Do we see them getting prosecuted in any state? If he's, if he's soliciting materials under sub-1 or sub-2 of the statute, of the pandemic provision of the statute, yes, that person can be prohibited. Uh, excuse me, that person can be prosecuted. Well, I asked you, have there been such cases? It, a lot of states have pandering laws now. And is, is the case that you posit a case that has occurred in any, any of those states your Honor, I cannot cite a specific example, but I can certainly tell uh, Your Honor this. Um, prosecutions from 1997 to 2004 have increased over 452 percent. The conviction Maybe rate — that's because the, the quantity of the material has increased. Exactly. And, and, and the conviction rate is 99.6 percent. And, and if one person says to another, can we get some child pornography, how is that solicitation? Can you get me? Oh, can you get me? Can you get me? And you think that that's protected by the First Amendment? Asking someone for child pornography well, is protected? First, first of all, it may not be protected by the First Amendment, but it shouldn't be captured by the statute, which puts that 17-year-old in jail for 5 to 20 years. Well, the only thing that limits the statute is the First Amendment. What else? You say it may not be covered by the First Amendment. What else gives you a right I'm not no, it's a statute. I, I don't think that it is necessarily not covered by the First Amendment. I think certainly the First Amendment uh, and this Court has held that we protect salacious thoughts, salacious it's not ideas. Thought at that point, it's a request to obtain contraband, which and fuels the production of the contraband. Is it protected by the First Amendment or not, soliciting child pornography? I think the First Amendment is implied, but I don't think it becomes criminal conduct until you get to either an attempt, solicitation, or a conspiracy. You have to do more than just say, I would like to get it, or can you get it for me, to be guilty of the statute. 
to fall with under the to fall under the statute or to be uh, protected by the First Amendment or not protected by the First Amendment. Which right. which is it? To fall within the protection of the First Amendment. And another example that, that comes to mind is a person has material which, which they believe is child pornography. They give it to somebody else, such as Lolita, for an opinion, and they present it to that person. One of the biggest problems or one of the biggest uh, the, the verb that's most objectionable of the statute is present, because it does not have to have any commercial requirement. I mean, the model penal code has a general prohibition of soliciting illegal activities. Are you saying that that's, that, that provision violates the First Amendment because so, it's just words? So, solicitation is a crime in and of itself. And, and talking about or expressing a desire to obtain is not, doesn't quite go to the level of solicitation or attempt, where there has to be a proximity in time, an immediacy, and, and, and a certain geographical proximity between the words and the conduct that you intend. But I like thought the, the word in the statute is solicit. Well, there's solicit and there's also present. It works in both directions. If you're asking somebody for child pornography, you're not presenting child pornography. Correct. I agree. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Diaz. Uh, General Clement, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Overbreath, as this Court has reminded us any number of times, is strong medicine. And that is why, even in the First Amendment context, as-applied challenges remain the basic building blocks of adjudication. Rejection of this overbreath challenge here does not mean that the courts will not be open to hear as-applied challenges going forward. Of course, the respondent here has no claim that the statute is unconstitutional as applied to him. We reject the overbreath challenge here and still leave uh, an overbreath a doctrine for some other cases? I'm not sure how we could do that. Well, I, I think you could, Justice Kennedy. You could — I mean, the burden here is on the challenger, who doesn't say that the statute's unconstitutional as applied to them, to show substantial overbreath in absolute terms and relative to the statute's legitimate sweep. And it's interesting that neither respondent nor the Court of Appeals ever engaged in that latter inquiry, and that's a critical inquiry. How and is it different? It, I mean, it would be strange to um, — Toss out the doctrine when it's ex the doctrine, as I understand it, is what we relied on when we had the predecessor to this statute before us. But Justice Ginsburg, I'm not urging that you get rid of overbreath doctrine once and for all, though it probably would be in the government's interest. I'm simply saying that if you apply overbreath analysis the way it's supposed to be applied, it's not satisfied here. It's not just enough for you to envision a couple of hypotheticals. It has to be the overbreath has to be substantial relative to the legitimate sweep of the statute. This court in Virginia against Hicks said faulted the lower court opinion because it had no analysis whatsoever of valid versus invalid applications. The proportionality aspect of this Court's overbreath jurisprudence was ignored entirely. That could be verbatim the holding of this case. The Eleventh Circuit didn't engage in that relative analysis. When my brother was asked for empirical evidence about the comparison, he said he didn't have any. Well, with all due respect, I think that's fatal to his case. And because how did it's the that burden occur in, in Ashcroft v. Free Speech Coalition? I think, and the way I would explain that is I think you didn't get, you found that there was such absolute overbreath that you didn't even reach the proportionality inquiry. In any event, Hicks was decided afterwards, and I think Hicks makes very clear that you have to have both, absolute and relative. I would say one last thing, though, that, I mean, this is, first and foremost, you start with the facts of this case, and the facts of this case, I think, caution against reading the word presents out of the statute or reading it unduly, unduly narrowly. 
The gravamen of the pandering here was not just the offer of pictures of this individual and his daughter, but was his claim that I can post these actual images of child pornography on this group site because I'm for real and I'm not an undercover agent. Now, that seems to be within the epicenter of the statute, but it's not for profit. It was doing it to establish his bona fides. Thank you. Thank you, General. The case is submitted.